Praise God. Thank you, praise team. And thank God for fixing our value at the cross. Fixing our value. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. That while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How did David respond when he thought of of God's redemption, when he thought of, of God's great love for him and God's great care for him in Psalm 18? What did he start with? I love you, Lord. We get to love the Lord because he has made us valuable. Not just in his creating us, but in the way that he redeemed us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you turn in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 this morning, as we continue to go through uh, this brief letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church, um, as we've been seeing, much like ours, much different about us in the Thessalonians, but also there's a lot of similarities. And on this particular occasion, as Paul was writing this letter, and he was, was writing them to correct a, a misunderstanding that the Thessalonians were having as a false teacher had come into town and uh, got the rumor started that the day of the Lord had already begun, that it had already occurred, that, that the things that were happening to them, and they were severe, they were facing severe persecutions, terrible things. Um, some were being killed, some were being separated from the families, many were losing jobs. It was a very rough time to be a Christian in Thessalonica. And, and they had false, and some of them had fallen prey to some false teaching that the day of the Lord had come and, and that, they were in, that they were involved in the, in the great tribulation. A, a terrible time, and Paul describes it in the first part of, of 2 Thessalonians 2. But he, was, but he reminds them not to, be, not to be concerned about that because that wasn't what was happening. There were certain things that, that, that would have already been happening, especially they would have already been united uh, in the air with their Savior um, when, he, when he comes to start that day of the Lord by, by bringing his church home. But he also, in, in saying so, made, made some descriptions of the way that the thing, the, the, the things were going to be during that time of tribulation. And he described the, the way that so many people were going to be led astray with a, a delusion. And that they were going to be lost because they were not going to believe in what they had heard about the Lord Jesus Christ. They were not going to believe in the message that had come to them. And he, he describes that in Second Thessalonians um, chapter 2, when he, when he says toward the end of that first section, when he says, for this reason, in verse 12, for this reason God sends them a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie, and so all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Now, while that sounds very much like today, it's going to be even more severe and, and, and more prevalent during that time of tribulation. But he goes on then in verse 13 and describes the Thessalonian believers and us as well. But he says, but we ought always to thank you, God, or to thank God for you, brothers, loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God chose you to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So then, brothers, stand firm. 
and hold to the teachings we passed on to you, whether by, whether by word of mouth or by letter. And so the Apostle Paul does something that we're, that we're also going to share in this morning. He celebrates salvation. He celebrates eternal life. I was so blessed this morning by Rachel Zop as I asked the question of what, what God's greatest gift to us is. That wasn't rehearsed. Um, that, was, that, was what I, that was what I was looking for. And I, and I know that many of you parents are very thankful for Rachel this morning because of what other answers might have come up. All right? But Rachel was ready. She was, she was ready with that answer. The gift of eternal life. And here the Apostle Paul, after describing the lostness of the lost in the most lost of all times, that great tribulation, he says, but thinking about that, then I think about you, you Thessalonian believers. And he says, I ought to always thank God for you because you are loved by the Lord. And from the beginning, you've shown how you've been chosen by God, by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and through belief in the truth. Now that's a mouthful, but it's a great, great description. And there are many great descriptions in scripture about our salvation. But this is, this is one of the, one of the just amazing passages of scripture that helps us understand that our forgiveness from our sins, that the gift of eternal life, that these things are all pictures are all pieces are all parts of the grace of God. That grace that we sang about to start the service this morning, when we sang his grace is enough. When we say that we're saying that his gift to us, what he has done for us, is enough. We, there isn't something that we can do for him. There isn't something that we can, that there, there aren't enough changes that we can make in our lives that will somehow make us worthy of his gift to us. As John 5, or excuse me, as Romans 5, 8 says, as I, as I mentioned earlier, his great demonstration of love is that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His love comes first. And it's out of his great love for the Thessalonians that he chose them. It's out of his great love for us that he chose us for the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and for belief in the truth. That's that's an important thing for us to remember today. There is truth. A lot of of people are, are trying to to get us to think that there isn't any set truth, that really truth is something that's relative for all of us, that, that we all have our own truth. We've, we've even heard that phrase, well, that's his truth. That's your truth. That's my truth. Once you know something, God tells us that there is a truth. There is the truth. And it's not relative, and it, and it isn't some things are true for somebody, and some things are true for somebody else. Now, we all have our various experiences, and that's, that's a truth. We all face all kinds of different things throughout this life. But there is one truth. There, it's, it's impossible for two opposing ideas to both be true. There's one truth. And we have to understand that, even though, again, our culture is telling us, hey, don't believe anybody that says they, they know the truth. 
Well, I want to tell you something. When we come from the word of God, that we have, that, that he is so, again, graciously, by his grace, it's part of the gift that he gives us, that he has provided for us, that he's preserved for us. I mean, here we are this morning looking at a letter that's 2,000 years old that was written by, as the world would describe him, as some obscure prophet. We know him as an apostle, one that Jesus himself chose to pass on the message that Jesus brought in his, in his person, in his, in his arrival into this world, and in, through all of his teachings and all of his work, he chose certain, certain men as his apostles to give the message that he, that he gave them to the world. And we have that today. We're looking at this today as the Apostle Paul wrote it. We have it in our language, in various versions, even represented here this morning. We have it preserved for us so that we can know what the truth is. And so as the Apostle Paul describes this morning, as we look at it, what salvation is about and and what the source of our salvation is and, and how God does this work of saving us, we can know that it's the truth. It comes to us by the person that God chose, that Jesus appointed as his apostle, and said that he would remind him and tell him everything that he wanted him to write down so that the churches of which we are a part would know the truth. And here this morning, we we find out the truth of salvation. How can a person be saved? How can a person who has done the things that we have done thought the things that the Thessalonians had thought, done the things that they did, treated each other the way that we've treated each other, how can people like us, how can people like these Thessalonians, how can they be saved? Why would Paul say, I thank God for you all? People who are demonstrating that they're loved by God, people who are demonstrating that God chose them through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit to be saved and that they would believe in the truth. He describes the salvation in these these various ways to let us know that our position in him, our relationship with him is secure because it's a relationship that he has given us. It's not one that we've earned. It's not one that we've figured out. It's one that we've received from him because he loves us. Because he chose us. He chose us to be saved in this way. By the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is the one who does the saving work in you? Jesus Christ did the saving work. The Holy Spirit takes that work and brings it to life in you. When you believe, you see this combination of the work of the Holy Spirit and our believing the truth, because it's when we believe these things that the Holy Spirit does these things. And so he works it together. His work through our belief is what saves us. We didn't do it. He did it. Look with me to uh, to Titus, just just uh, three letters back from uh, from 2 Thessalonians. Go through 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy. And then Titus. Look what he says about salvation. Same author, the Apostle Paul, to another one of the young preachers like Timothy that that the Apostle Paul sent out uh, with this message. But look at his description of salvation. 
in Titus chapter 3. Verse 3. And we'll see ourselves in this. Here's the Apostle Paul's description of us. And he's included himself in this. At one time, we too were foolish. Anybody relate to that? And don't knock, don't, don't elbow your husband, wives. Disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Great description of us. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. And how did he do it? Not because of righteous things we had done. Gets that taken care of right off the bat. This isn't something that we deserve. This isn't something that we earned. It's not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. See, that's another description of the sanctifying work of the Spirit. The setting us apart for the work of God, for the glory of God. He did that. The Holy Spirit did that by, by giving us new birth and a, and a washing, a cleaning us, a cleansing us from sin. And he says, whom, in speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. You see, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, the Father, God, three in one, all working together as our God. One God to do this great work of salvation in us. And so Jesus Christ died on the cross. He rose again victorious. And he told his disciples, if I go away, then I will send the Holy Spirit to live in you. And when the Holy Spirit comes to live in us, this is what he does. He gives us new birth. We needed new birth because we one time walked in foolishness and disobedience and on and on as that description goes. We needed that that rebirth. Our first birth wasn't sufficient. Our first birth was a birth into sin. Our first birth was a birth into rebellion against God. That's all of us. Paul was very clear in Romans 3.23 where he says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every one of us. That was every Thessalonian. That was every person that Titus was going to minister to as as a minister of the gospel. Everyone had sinned. Everyone needed rebirth. Everyone everyone needed to be made new by God. And that's what the Holy Spirit does when we believe. You see, that's when the Holy Spirit starts that work in us. First, he draws us. First, he, he, he opens our eyes and our minds to understand the truth. And then as we believe it, we put our faith in him. He does this work of rebirth and renewal by washing us, cleaning us. We needed that. That's one of the pictures of water baptism. When somebody's a, a believer in Christ, they, they enter into the water of baptism, the physical water of baptism, just like the Lord Jesus did, just like he commanded us to do. 
And the reason we do that, it pictures him cleaning us from all of our sins. Every single sin that we've committed, he cleans us from that. That's the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, setting us apart for the work of the glory of God. Not not leaving us in the mess that we were born into, but through rebirth and renewal, cleaning us from all of our past sins. Every single one of them. So you think about that. Think about the magnitude of the forgiveness of God in a room like this. Because not only did he wash away all of your sins as an individual, he washed away all the sins of everybody here. It's an amazing thing that he did for us. It's an an amazing feat, and it's an amazing fact. It's the truth. See, back to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This is the truth. What the Apostle Paul is saying here about salvation, and he refers to it also as the gospel, the good news. This is the truth. This isn't just an idea. This isn't just one of the ways that that some people are going to make it um, to God. You know, there's a there's a very popular um, school of thought that that many of you have heard before, and that's this: it doesn't matter what you believe, just believe it, and it'll all work out for you, and it'll end and you'll end up with God. Just believe it. Just believe whatever it is, and just so you believe it. That's false. Jesus said the exact opposite thing. And a lot of people don't know this about Jesus. And a lot of people in our, in our culture just think of Jesus as this really, really super nice, smart guy who just loved everybody. He does love everybody. They're right about that. But they don't know about some of the things that Jesus said. For example, we mentioned this last week. We mentioned it most weeks. In John chapter 14, as Jesus was talking to his apostles, other men like the apostle Paul, Paul wasn't a part of the group yet. Jesus called him a little while later, not too much later. But when he was talking to his apostles, those that, that had followed him all of his, all of his three-year ministry, he was telling them about preparing a place for them in heaven in the glory of God. And that's the truth. That's, he's doing that. For all of us who believe, he's preparing a place in his glory for us. And and that's an amazing thought in itself. But as Jesus was talking about these, he's telling them these things to to comfort them, to encourage them. Because he knows they're about ready to go through some really tough stuff. Not only the the things that were going to be surrounding his own crucifixion and the the things that were happening in their lives, but also from that moment on, their lives were going to be different and their lives were going to be very difficult. That's one of the... Uh, one of the reasons that we can have so much confidence in the Word of God, in the Bible being the Word of God. Because those guys wrote it, and those guys taught it, and those guys preached it at great peril for for themselves. They weren't gaining anything except for glory for God and eternal rewards that he'd promised them. They weren't gaining anything in this world. They weren't getting rich over it. They weren't getting popular over it. In fact, they they were marked men because of it. And all of them died for their faith, 
Some say, well, the, the apostle John didn't die for his faith. Well, he died in exile for his faith. But all of them who wrote these things, who taught these things, who preached these things, they all suffered tremendously for it. But Jesus was trying to encourage them by saying, hey, get ready for what you're about ready to face because I'm preparing a place for you. And if I go away, I'll come back and take you to be with me where I am. And he said, you know, the, you know the way to where I'm going. And Thomas said, no, we don't. We don't know where you're going. How can we know how to get there? And Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. No one. No exceptions. No no hardship rulings. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what the Apostle Paul was talking about when he was talking about the great delusion during the, during the times of tribulation in the day of the Lord that was, that was going to come. Nobody, was, nobody who didn't believe in Jesus was going to be saved. No one. That's the truth. It's a, it, it, in, in one sense, it's a sad truth, but it doesn't have to be a sad truth because everyone who believes will be saved. Everyone. No matter what they've done, no matter what they've said, no matter where they're from, no matter what their, their culture, no matter what their background, no matter what their religious background or heritage or any of those things, races, genders, everything, everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody. And that is, the, is, is what Paul describes here to celebrate the eternal life of these Thessalonians. And what we look to this morning to continue to celebrate what God is doing in our lives. What he has done when we put our trust in Jesus, that his sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, that, that was done in us. In other places, the Apostle Paul says at that moment, we are sealed for salvation. We're sealed for eternal life. There's nothing anybody can do to take that eternal life away from us. And Paul celebrates that thought when he thinks of the Thessalonians. When he thinks of them being confused and thinking that they're living through the tribulation, he says, no, you're not living through that. That's going to be an even worse time than what you're experiencing right now. He said, but when I think about that, I, I ought to thank God for you, loved of God. Again, the demonstration of that love is what God did for them. The fact that they received that love by receiving the Lord Jesus Christ. The fact that, that, they had, that they had been cleaned and reborn by the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. That, gives them, that gave them, at that time, a solid standing. And every one of them have seen that salvation realized, have seen that forgiveness realized. Because every one of those people, as we talked about last week, Every one of those people that Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to, they're all dead. Every one of them. You think, well, yeah, it's 2,000 years ago, of course. But we don't think about that sometimes. They're dead. And they found out that the things that they were believing about the Lord Jesus Christ, they found out those things were very true the moment they died. The moment they breathed their last breath, whatever they died of, some died because of persecution, others died of, of diseases and old age like, you know, like so many have. 
But no matter how they died, the moment they breathed their last, the moment their lives were over, they were instantly, as the Apostle Paul promised they would be in 2 Corinthians 5, they were instantly in the presence of the Lord. Instantly. That moment. They weren't walking down a tunnel to the light. I see a light. No. They were instantly in the presence of the Lord. Oh, and you're going to hear all kinds of stories and dreams of near-death experiences. And all. Listen, believe the word of God. The Thessalonians found this out. The moment they breathed their last, the moment this body died, they were in instantly the presence of the Lord. And they found out that all the things that they had been taught by the Apostle Paul and the other apostles, all the things that the word of God said to them was true. And we're going to find out those same things. In the meantime, we have the privilege of celebrating the fact, as the Apostle Paul did with these, with these believers, we have the, the, uh, the privilege and the opportunity to celebrate where we stand with God every time we get together. Every time we open up his book, every time we share the, the scriptures together, every time we encourage each other, we have the opportunity to remember that our standing with God is sure because he did it for us. We're not counting on how well we've done it for him, ever. That's never the case with salvation. That's never how we find confidence in him. We're doing pretty good. Because the minute we think that, it's kind of like a golfer thinking that he's pretty good one day. Or a basketball player. Some of you have been watching some of the, some of the NBA finals. A basketball player thinking he's pretty good. And then he has that opportunity to, to win the game at the free throw line for his team. And almost inevitably finds out, eh, I'm not that good. Woe to any of us who find confidence in our salvation because we're doing pretty good. Remember, our confidence, our celebration comes knowing that salvation is the gift of God. That's where our confidence lies. The giver of this gift is worthy of our praise, is worthy of our confidence. I am sure of my salvation, not because I preach some, not because I do some good things. I am sure of my salvation because it's a gift from God, secured for me by God, bought for me by God, by his son, the Lord Jesus on the cross, by the work of the Holy Spirit in my life, giving me new birth, giving me a new mind, renewing me, cleaning me. That's why I can stand. That's the truth that the, that the Thessalonians believed and were saved. That's the truth that the apostles believed and were saved. That's the truth that we believe. That it's not about us. It's not by us. It's by God. And so we have full and complete confidence. So we don't have to walk through this life. And that's one of the, one of the reasons that the apostle Paul was celebrating this fact about the Thessalonians, he's, he's remembering and he's reminding them. You all can walk through this period of time that you're going through, which is difficult in their case, a very difficult time. Some of us are going through some very difficult times right now. We can walk through this with confidence, knowing 
that our standing is firm and is secure because our salvation is given to us by God. It's bought for us by his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, secured and completed for us by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit's still doing his sanctifying work in us. He's still growing us. He's still increasing our knowledge of the word. He's still renewing our minds. He's still helping us to understand by his convicting power of the things that we're doing that we shouldn't be doing. He's still teaching us things that we aren't doing that we ought to be doing. He's still still very much at work in us, sanctifying us, but he has done a complete job of it in the way that he gave us rebirth and renewal by the washing away of our sins. That has secured for us a place in the family of God. And we are there by faith in this truth in Jesus Christ, the Savior. That's what the gospel is, as we'll get to in the weeks to come when we look more closely at these later verses. That's what the gospel is all about, the good news. That's what makes it good. It's taken out of our hands. I remember the relief I felt even as a 10-year-old boy, when the gospel was explained to me and, and I understood it, and the weight of my efforts, which I thought were probably failing by this time, and I was correct, but I remember the weight of my efforts and my attempts to be good enough to please God by my actions when that weight was removed from me and I realized I didn't have to do that. That that wasn't my job. That was Jesus' job, and he did that for me. And now that freed me from that burden, from that that heavy weight of wondering if I was good enough. No, I wasn't. That's part of the good news. We're not good enough. But Jesus is, and he took care of it when he died on the cross. And so by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit and our belief in the truth, We are saved. And as Paul said in in Titus, not because of righteous things that we had done, but by his mercy. Mercy is not just an expletive. Oh, mercy. It's a real fact. It's It's the fact of God withholding from us what we deserve. That's what mercy is. And that's how he saved us. He knows He knows good and well what we deserved. He knows everything that we've done. Everything that we thought. Even if we didn't do it. What we thought about doing. He knows all that stuff. And he's withholding from us what we deserved. Because he put it all on Jesus. When Jesus died... That's what we deserved. And he put all of our sin on him by his mercy. And remember, mercy is part of, a, is part of the picture of his love for us. When David wrote Psalm 18, he was remembering the mercy of God. He was remembering the grace of God. He was remembering his position in God. And his response was, I love you, Lord. Can you imagine saying that to the almighty God? We can. 
because he's our father now. We've entered into that relationship and we're secure in him. Last week was Father's Day. Every day is Father's Day because we are loved by him and allowed by his mercy and by his grace, allowed to love him back and to have this relationship secure, not because of us, but because of him. Let's bow together for prayer. Our Heavenly Father, what a blessing this morning to celebrate what you have done for us. That you didn't leave us in our mess. And we've made messes, Lord. You didn't leave us there. Knowing even before we were ever born, knowing of the rebellion that we were going to instigate against you in our own hearts and sometimes with other people, you provided for us a Savior. Jesus Christ, your Son. The way, the truth, and the life to get to you, to know you, to be able to know your love and to love you with our love. We thank you. We thank you for the Thessalonians who had gone before us and that the Apostle Paul wrote this wonderful letter too. And we thank you for how these truths are eternal and that they apply to all of us who believe. Father, there may be some here this morning or in our uh, internet community this morning who are still trying to earn their way, who are still trying to secure their position in your family, in your kingdom. I pray, Father, they have seen this morning that the fact of your sanctifying work by your Holy Spirit shows them their need for new birth, their need for renewal by the washing of your Holy Spirit. Help them to admit that need to you this morning, even in silence as we pray. Help them say, yes, yes, Lord, I need to be reborn. I need to be cleaned. I have sinned against you and I can't stop. Give them the courage, give them the faith. Say, yes, Jesus, I believe that what you did for me is enough. I'm going to stop trying to add to it. I'm going to stop trying to earn it. I'm going to trust you. Father, give them the courage to to say that to your living son today, the Lord Jesus Christ, that your Holy Spirit at that very moment would do that sanctifying work that Paul described in Titus 3. And Father, for those of us who have already had that moment of rebirth, and renewal. For those of us who have already believed the truth, help us never to waver. Help us never to go back to trying to earn it, to trying to deserve it, trying to prove it. But help us to rest, to trust 
in what you've done for us. Help us to stand secure so that we can live our lives for your glory as you've intended. That others would see our faith. Others would see that we trust in you. And even though it's flabbergasting to them, they can't believe that that's all there is to it. That they would also come to know forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ. So they also can live their lives for your glory as you're enabling us to now by the continuing sanctifying work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And we pray these things with joy this morning. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, our all-sufficient Savior, amen.